Amen. Thank you, Mel. Hey, Great Soul family, how are you? Good to see all of you. My name's Alan, one of the pastors here at Grace Hill. If this is your first time here or you're newer and we haven't met, we'd love to be able to meet you afterwards uh, if we get a chance. Hey, and thanks for making your way to Drainsville, uh, where it all began. Um, I actually went to elementary school here, so I've been here for a long time. Um, but yeah, we, I think Nick already said it, but we planted right here at Drainsville and we've been booted out of Herndon Middle for the summer because they're doing some construction. So we're going to uh, make uh, our home here for about nine to 10 weeks until they let us back in uh, at the beginning of September. So thank you for your flexibility, making your way over here uh, with the new kids set up uh, and all of that. Um, we're, we're excited to be, to be back here. It's uh, nostalgic for us. Hey, before we get started, I want to make one quick comment, okay? Um, Dobbs v. Jackson. Uh, here's what I want to say is, you know, we as your pastoral team want to really lead our church well in how to think about this and how to respond to this, which is why we're not going to say anything for several days. Actually, our pastoral team plans on uh, doing a uh, live dialogue, maybe I'm thinking Thursday evening. We'll make sure you know when we're going to do it, where we really want to jump on and we want to just help think through, okay, as a church, how do we respond to this Supreme Court decision? There's been so many hot takes and quick things thrown out there. I'm sure you've seen all of it, and this is a morality issue. It's a justice issue and we want to think deeply about it. So I want to read the opinions and read the concurrences and read the dissents and all of that and really think about it uh, before we make comments. So if you're wondering why we're not commenting on it, that's the reason. We just want to lead uh, with and be circumspect and um, thoughtful in it. So look for an announcement on that, and uh, we'll definitely uh, be thinking about that uh, as a church. All right. All right. Hey, so we're going to continue in our series uh, in the Ten Commandments this morning, a series that we've entitled For Your Joy. And this morning we'll be in the Third Commandment. So if you have your Bible, you can open it to the book of Exodus, chapter 20. Uh, chapter 20 will be there in a few moments. That's the first uh, recording of the Ten Commandments uh, in your Bible. But the reason why we titled this series, For Your Joy, is because we believe that the Bible makes it clear that all of God's commands are for our joy, that they are for our good, that God is after our flourishing, and therefore that's why he gives us commands. That's why he tells us how we ought to live. That's why he's the one who gets to tell us what is good and right and beautiful and just. And so that's our take on the Ten Commandments. It's exactly why this morning we decided to do communion before we opened up the book of Exodus and read the third commandment together. Because if you go to Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, what, what do you read? All of Israel is at Mount Sinai, and, and God says, I, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who rescued you from your slavery in Egypt. And so the, the order that we see God's relationship with his people, the nation of Israel, is that God rescued them. He displayed his love for them, his grace towards them. Then he gathered them at Mount Sinai, and then he gave them 
the law. He said, I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to make you part of my family. And now that I've done that, now let's talk about how you ought to live and why that's for your joy. And so this morning, we wanted to practice that. We wanted to practice the reality that we come to the table. We remember when we break the bread that the body of Christ was broken on our behalf, that when we drink from the cup, that the blood of Jesus was spilt on the cross to cleanse us from our sins, that Jesus has rescued us from our sin, from death, and now he wants to call us into a new life, a life of joy, and a life that is following his commands because they are for our joy. Now we're in commandment number three, and these first three commandments that we've been studying are related in many ways. Uh, Next uh, week, we'll be in commandment number four, and we're going to talk about Sabbath rest. All right, so starting next week, things get a lot more practical, but these first three commands have all dealt with what is our view of God, Like what role, what place does God have in my life and in your life? And and one of the things I want us to see from these first three commandments is that our joy is linked to our view of God. Does God have the place in our life where he's the one who gets to tell us how to live? He's the one that we trust with hard decisions. He's the one that gets to define what is good and right. And and we don't take that from him. That's what the first three commandments are dealing with. Commandment number one, don't have any other gods before me. God's asking, hey, am I the one that gets to play the role of God in your life? Or do you look to other things or maybe even yourself to play that role? Commandment number two is don't carve yourself out images of God. And we talked about that last week and we asked, do, do I feel tempted when I'm in hard circumstances like the Israelites did in Exodus 32 to actually forsake God and carve out a different God for myself that's going to answer my prayers in the way that I want him to answer it in the timing that I want him to answer it? And so do I want to change God? So commandment one, do I trust God? Commandment two, do I want to change God? And then commandment three, we're going to get the, do not take the Lord's name in vain. And the main question that we're going to ask with that is, do I want to use God and his name for my purposes? Do I want to attach God's name to things that don't represent God? And so these first three commandments force us to ask the question, is my life centered on me and I just want to kind of use God or mold God to be according to my own purposes and desires? Or is my life centered on God? And am I going to mold my life and my views and my beliefs and my behaviors to what God says is good. That's the thing that we're forced to ask. Uh, I love this quote from Tim Keller. He says, um, if your God never disagrees with you, you might just be worshiping an idealized version of yourself. And he's right. If we've kind of formed God and, and we follow the things in scripture that seem good to us and ignore the things that we don't like or are problematic to our culture around us, or if we want to kind of conform God to our plans for our life, then it's probably not God that we're worshiping and submitting to and looking to as God. It's it's probably ourselves. And so as we jump into the third commandment, I want you to know this, that I I really believe 
that God is way more committed to your joy and my joy than we are. And he's far better at producing joy in us than we are. And therefore, it's worth listening to him. It's worth centering our lives on him. And it's worth seeing these commands as for our good and for our joy. Exodus chapter 20, verse seven, we get the third commandment. It says this, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. And that word in vain, that means vanity. It means nothingness. It means worthlessness. You know, it's easy to oversimplify this command, right? You know, don't say, oh my God. Uh, if you have a Jesus fish on your car, don't speed or road rage, right? Because you're taking the Lord's name in vain if you do that. So it's, it's easy to oversimplify it. But if you look to scripture and you go, okay, this is what we did last week with the second command. Hey, what are the different examples of the violations of this? this? We, we get a few things that help us to understand what God really means by the third commandment. So here's what I think he means. I think he means this, do not attach the name of God to anything that doesn't accurately represent the truth of who God is and God's character, both. Because we can attach God's name to things that might represent the truth of who he is, but that thing may not represent his character and vice versa. Couple examples. Leviticus 19.12 says, you shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of your God. So don't swear on the name of God to do anything or take an oath on the name of God and not keep that oath. You're attaching God's name to something that doesn't represent who he is or his character. Uh, Deuteronomy 18, um, the people of God were commanded not to practice things like magic or sorcery or pagan uh, practices because these were people who represented God. They were the people of Israel, all right? It was known that Yahweh was their God. And so when you practice these things, Deuteronomy 18, you're attaching God's name to something that doesn't represent him. Another example is false prophets in the Old Testament. False prophets, if they claimed that they were speaking for God and they were not speaking for God, God often killed them. All right, uh, uh, Jeremiah 28 and 29 is such a great example of this, right? So you have the people of Judah, uh, Babylon came in, uh, destroyed the city and carried off most of them to exile. And so there's this prophet, false prophet over there in Babylon, a guy named Hananiah, Jeremiah 28. You can read about this. So Hananiah goes to the people of God in exile and he goes, everyone, don't worry. You're good. God wants what's best for you. He's coming for you. Any day now, you're gonna be rescued. You're not gonna be in exile long. Don't get comfortable. You're not gonna be here long. But God goes to Jeremiah, his prophet, and he says, there's got a false prophet over there who's speaking in my name. He says, Jeremiah, you gotta go correct the record. You gotta go over there. And Jeremiah had a different message for the people in exile. You can read it in Jeremiah chapter 29. 
he goes to the people of exile in the exile and he says to them, he actually writes them a letter and he says to them, listen, hey, Hananiah is a false prophet. God actually killed him. But here's the deal. Here's what God says. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for a future and a hope and prosperity, but you gotta keep reading. But it's not now. It's in 70 years. So you are probably not going to see that in this life. Your children will. That's Jeremiah 29. God has you in exile for 70 years. So you know what he says? Get comfortable, build houses, get married, plant gardens, seek the welfare of the city that you're in. And that's what the prophecy of God really was. So you had Hananiah, who is using the name of God with a popular message that tickled the ears of everyone over there who was in exile in Babylon. And of course, they wanted to follow that, but it wasn't what God's word said. And I promise you what Jeremiah had to say was not popular with the people compared to what Hananiah had to say. So this is another example of someone taking the Lord's name in vain, attaching God's name to something that doesn't represent him. So we can think of some modern examples, right? I mean, this is all over politics. I don't even have to use that example. People who use scripture in God's name and they attach it to their agendas or policies. That happens all of the time. But, but I think there's everyday subtle ways that we can think we're representing who God is, representing his character, and maybe we're off. Maybe we're talking to somebody else about God or talking to somebody else about our beliefs. Or maybe the people around us know that we're followers of Jesus, know that we claim this idea of Christianity and God and all those things, but yet we're living our lives in such a way that doesn't represent God and doesn't represent his character. I think there's everyday subtle ways that we can take God's name in vain. And God is really concerned about this because one, God is really concerned about his reputation. He wants his people to represent him for who he is to the world. That is the calling that God has placed on his people. Like that is the mission of the church. It is to represent God to the world. So that when they see us and they say the way we live our lives and the way we love each other and the way we love our neighbor and the way that we just are a delight to be around, plugged to a series a couple weeks ago, that we actually represent God's kingdom to the world. So God's very concerned about his reputation. But I think another reason why God is concerned about this is because when you attach God's name to something, you can easily manipulate people you can easily convince people about something because you're attaching spiritual things to it, right? Spiritual abuse, this is how it starts, by taking the Lord's name in vain. So I have two questions that I want us to ask ourselves this morning as we look at this text. Here here are the two questions. The first one is this, how have I been influenced by those who have taken the Lord's name in vain? I, I want us to take some stock on that. And the second question is, what am I, uh, I'm sorry, how am I personally taking the Lord's name in vain? So two simple questions. How have others influenced me? And how am I potentially doing this in my life? Let's start with the first one. How have I been influenced by those who have taken the Lord's uh, name in vain? You know, we, we all need to ask ourselves this question. This is a really fair question 
question uh, uh, to ask is, how was I formed in my spiritual walk with Christ? So whether you've been walking with Christ for days or you've been walking with Christ for your entire life, how was I formed? How was I discipled in my walk with Christ that may not accurately represent who God is or his character? I think that's a really fair question to ask because I think all of us in varying degrees have been formed in ways that may not fully represent God and his character. Not because the people who formed us or discipled us were malicious, but we're fallible people, all right? And so we always want to be asking that question and looking to the Bible and allowing the Bible to continually reform us and correct us and and help us to see who God is and what his character is. And so I think it's a really good question to ask. How have I been formed in a way that may not fully represent who God is and his character? In fact, I'll go this far. Hang with me for a second. I think it would be really wise for some of us in the room to even deconstruct how we've been formed in our views of God and his word. And I know that's a loaded word, deconstruction. It's a big word in the culture. But deconstruction is dangerous if you're taking things apart and you're putting things back together just according to what seems right to you. Well, then you're not going to put it back together correctly if that is your blueprint. But if you're taking things apart and you're going, because I wanna put it back together according to the right blueprints, then I think that's a really good process to go through because the Bible tells us that we have a blueprint in scripture that is the exact imprint of who God is and his character. Andrea read it for us in Hebrews chapter one. It is Jesus. Jesus, this is Hebrews 1, 3. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, which means that Jesus, the things that he taught and his character are the exact imprint of who God is and his character. So if you want to know how God would approach a sinner, look at Jesus and the way he approached a sinner. If you want to know how God would approach someone who's unclean, look at Jesus who goes to the lepers and touches them and then makes them clean. If you want to see the character of God, we look to Jesus. And I think it's helpful for us to ask the question, how have I been formed in my walk with Jesus? And is it possible that I've been formed in ways that fully don't represent the character of Jesus and who he is? I have a diagram on the screen, if you can see it. I'll pop it up there for you. I think this might be a helpful way to think about it. All right, so on the left-hand side of this diagram, this is a spectrum, okay? Across the board, you can see it. On the left-hand side of this diagram, this represents people who don't really emphasize God's law, they have a high regard for the compassion of Jesus, but there's not, a little, there's not a lot of reverence for God, recognition of God's holiness as our creator and as the one who has the right and authority to lead us and to tell us what is right and good and beautiful and moral. The right side of this spectrum represents people who overemphasize God's law and they have a high regard for reverence and the holiness of God, but a really low regard for the compassion that Jesus shows 
to people. Now, here's the deal. On this spectrum, every single one of us have been formed in our walks with Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, somewhere on that spectrum. All right, the, the two sides represent the extreme. So we're, we're somewhere there that we have been formed. So, so maybe you grew up in a home that really emphasized the law. And it was a home that said, listen, you have to read your Bible every morning. If you don't, God's gonna start bringing discipline and punishment into your life, right? You have to do these things. You have to go to church. You have to do these things, live according to these ways. And it's so overly emphasized that the way you're formed is you believe that no, God gives the commands, then he rescues if we follow them. Some of us may have grown up in a home that really leans on the other side of that spectrum. And maybe it was a home or a church or a disciple, or it doesn't have to be just our homes, but someone who formed us and they really formed us to believe that God is for you and he is, and he wants what you want. And he's not here to tell you what to do, or he's not here to challenge your worldview. He's here to bless you. He wants you to love your neighbor. And that's kind of the spirituality that you were formed in. So high regard for compassion, but low regard for reverence and God's character and what God commands us to do. I'm curious if you were to look at your life and where you were formed, if you were to where you would place yourself on this spectrum. I'm actually really curious if you were to go to other people who know you really well, maybe your community group or your family members, people that you trust and go, hey, you know me. If you were to put me somewhere on this spectrum, where would you put me? There's a question we don't ask a lot in the church. Hey, would someone else speak into my life and help me to understand this? But when we look to the scriptures, what we see is that Jesus is the exact imprint of the character and the nature of God, that he's the one who perfectly represents who God is, the truth of who he is, and also his character. I love this in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 and 30. Let me just read it for you. It's not gonna be on the screen. Like this is the call that Jesus has to you and to me. And if you're here in the room today or you're online with us and you don't know Jesus and you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, this is his call to you. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I hear compassion, right? I hear Jesus who's saying, listen, if you're burdened under the law and you know you can't be good enough, or if you're burdened under other things that you have done and you're feeling the guilt of, that, uh, of what you have done, Jesus is inviting you to come to him. He's not saying, deal with the burden, get it off your back, and then come. He's saying, no, come to me with it. Come to me with it. I see his compassion. And then he says in verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And what I see here is Jesus representing who God is and the ways that God calls us to live. See, Jesus represents this rescue. He rescued us out of Egypt, right? He rescued us from slavery. He rescued us from sin and death, but then he calls us to a new life. 
a life that is a lighter load, but it is a new life and new ways to live. And it's following God's commands that are for our joy. And that is what Jesus represents. He rescues us and calls us to a new life. He rescues us from a life that's centered on self, a life that is just burdened by the guilt of the law, a life of frivolous pursuit of pleasure. And he calls us into a life of deep meaning and forgiveness and compassion and obedience to our creator, who we know is after our joy. And so my question for you this morning is, how were you formed? It's possible that you were formed in ways that maybe took the Lord's name in vain. And that sounds harsh, but I think the way I want us to think about this command is I want us to think about this command in such a way that it's possible for us to do this a little bit without meaning to, to represent God in ways that don't accurately represent his character. And so are you willing to ask if you were formed in a way that didn't reflect God and his character? Are you willing to explore that question with other people? Another thing you might ask yourself is, what things am I allowing in my life right now that are forming me that don't represent God and his character? Oh, we have so many voices that we invite into our lives now. I mean, you just find a great YouTube channel that has a great production behind it, and it sounds awesome, and it tickles your ears, and it says the things that you really want to hear. And are we willing to scrutinize that a bit? Maybe even ask trusted friends in our community or family or whoever and say, hey, listen, does this represent who God is? I want to get your opinion on it because I'm inviting this voice into my life. And I wondered if we just did that practice, how many of us would discover things that we're letting into our life that are forming us in ways that don't represent who God is and his character. It's a practice that we could do, I think that could be transformative for us. Leads to my second question though. And how am I taking the Lord's name in vain? What are ways that I could be doing that, right? How seldom do we go to our brothers and sisters around us and we ask questions like, hey, that Facebook post, let me ask you, did it represent the truth of who God is and his character and his gentleness? Hey, the way that I treated that person in that conflict, the way I'm pursuing reconciliation here, the way that I'm representing the kingdom to my coworkers, whatever it is, my neighbors. Hey, would you speak into my life? Does this represent our king well? Or am I attaching God's name because I claim to know Christ? Am I attaching God's name to something that doesn't represent him well? Because that would be taking the Lord's name in vain. And here's my thing. I don't think any of us have the maturity, including myself, to answer those questions all by ourselves. I think we've got to invite other voices into our life in order to explore the areas that we might be taking the Lord's name in vain. There's three questions that we can ask in community. These might be familiar to you. And we're gonna ask these three questions for the rest of the commandments. So you should have them memorized at least by commandment five. But there's three questions that we could ask in community when we are trying to figure out, am I following the third commandment? Am I taking the Lord's name in vain or not? 
Number one, so if there's something going on in your life and you want to get feedback into how that's going, you could ask the question, first of all, what's going on inside of me? When I posted that on Facebook, when I said that to that person, when I treated that person that particular way, what was going on inside of me? And you need people in your life who are going to ask you those questions and that you can answer honestly so we can just get down to the brass tacks of what's going on. Second question we can ask is, okay, what does God's word say? You know, maybe this is a, it's a justice issue that you're thinking about and you're, man, you're real, feeling really passionate and you believe that what you want to say or what you want to do does represent God well. And so maybe you need to go and get the test. Okay, what does God's word say? Okay, I think God's word backs up what I'm saying. So how do I do it in a way that reflects his character? How do I do it in a way that actually invites people in versus pushes people away? Man, we need other people to help us answer that question. And question three, what does it look like to represent the truth of who God is and his character to the people around me, to the people in my church family, to my neighbors? What does that look like? I need other people to help me answer that question. That's why I'm so thankful for the elders that I have here at Grace Hill and the rest of you as the body of Christ, all right? I get people who tell me, hey, listen, I think what you said there didn't represent him well. And that's feedback that I need because I'm not mature enough to do this by myself. I, I, can't, I can't stand up here and every single week hit a 10 out of 10 and tell you exactly what this says perfectly. No, I need brothers and sisters to help me with that. We all need that. That's what it means to be the body of Christ. And that's how we represent God to the world. That's how we can go out into the world knowing that we are bearing the flag of God's name in this world and we can do so with confidence because I've got my brothers and sisters with me as we go out and do this. So here's the question. The question for us just this morning is just to ask two questions. How have I been formed in ways that may not represent who God is? And how might I be taking the Lord's name in vain? and potentially representing God in ways that don't truly represent him. These are just two questions that I think can help us follow Jesus well, love our neighbors, and reach this town. And so let me do this. Let me spend some time praying for us just as a church family that the Lord would give us the humility to ask these questions and that he would bless us as we seek to represent him. Let's pray. God, this morning, I'm, I, I'm just uniquely aware of just my own fallibility. I'm uniquely aware of my own ability, even as, as someone who, who teaches often, my own ability to, to not represent you well, even when my heart wants to. And Lord, I'm thankful for the grace of the cross that, that God, you're not going to get rid of me or, or toss me aside because I didn't do one thing well. But Lord, I'm also thankful for my community of brothers and sisters around me who helped me to do that well. And Lord, that's something that we all need in this room. God, as a church, we want to represent you to our town well. So Lord, help us to have humility in that endeavor and in that mission. Help us to be people who trust each other, who invite our voices into one another. 
Help us to be people who are gentle in that work because God, we're all fallible. And God, I just pray that through our willingness to really do the hard work of asking, how do we follow this third commandment well, Lord? I pray that we would see the impact that we can have by being very careful and humble when it comes to how we represent you to each other and to the world around us. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you've called us into a new life, a life of joy and a life of obedience. Help us to see every week as we study these commands that these truly are for our joy. We love you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.